Welcome, everybody, to the Coal Shacks Loop Podcast. Midnight interview with Frank Kaufman. After my enlightening conversation with the beautiful Helen Surtees, I ran a check through tax records and business licenses. The Max Match dating service was almost brand spanking new. No one knew where it came from or what other branches it had. It seemed to me that such mysterious origins warranted what we in the press call the midnight interview. So Kolchak, to me, fits into the, the genre that I'm really interested in, the occult detective. I say detective because that's what reporters are, really. Yeah, uh, it's, I, I don't see a big difference. They, they're investigative, trying to find out truth, going through clues, checking sources. Uh, the idea that they're trying to discover something or get at some particular uh, solution to a, mm-hmm. a problem or in, in Kolchak's case, it's always a problem. Uh, certainly he's very much as much the detective as the reporter. He's not just going to a scene and taking notes and asking good questions. He gets personally involved. You know darn well why we're soft petting this thing. No, tell me why. Could it be because we have been told to? Kolchak, you are an idiot. Worse, you're irresponsible. All these murders mean to you is a bylaw. Well, what the hell difference does it matter what it means to me? The point is that we are suppressing news. We are withholding information. Everybody in town knows what's going on. The police, the DA, the coroner's office. Every reporter on every newspaper in Las Vegas knows what's going on. The only people who don't know are the people. Hey, Frank, how are you doing this evening? Real good, Robert. How are you? Well, I'm doing pretty good. And and we, you know, already spoke a little bit uh, in the beginning to get ourselves a sound check and kind of get to know each other. And I I saw on the uh, one of the, the various Kolshak fan sites, I uh, believe, that you had said that you were going to be on a panel um, for. Are you going to or witness a actually, panel or what? actually clear I'm, that up I'm, for me? Well, the uh, the Stoker Con coming up, the annual meeting of the Horror Writers Association, right, is coming up in Denver, I believe, uh, Wednesday uh, morning, and they'll be there through coming back Sunday. Uh, there is a panel on the Friday morning that's uh, Kolchak 50 years later and the influence of Kolchak. I am actually not a panelist on that, Correct. but I know two of them. I'm going to more or less certainly attend the panel, but I plan on showing up as uh, a very old and, and heavier than he ought to be, Carl uh, Kolchak. And the only gear I, I haven't accumulated yet is uh, is the uh, seersucker suit, which okay. you know, okay. at the low end, there are you know, many hundreds, and at the high end, they're worse than that. Yes, completely. And then getting one fitted and all that stuff, and maybe next year for that. But I've got everything else. The, I've had the knit tie from back when knit ties were in. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, and all the other stuff. So Okay, well, that's great. So yeah. you're going to be there watching the panel. Um, and, and, and really, folks, what we're doing tonight is um, doing sort of a pre-convention discussion with Frank um, before he um, goes there. And then we'll try to have also a post-discussion. And, uh, and, and as you've seen, uh, if you've looked at, uh, Frank's comments on the various, uh, Kolshak fan sites, um, he is now a retired professor of English and journalism. Did I get that right, Frank? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, some creative writing thrown in there too. Oh yeah, for sure. Primarily for sure. English journalism is the degrees. Yeah. Okay. 
Awesome. Awesome. So let's, let's go back just a hair then. Uh, what I try to do somewhat metaphorically, it's a little cheesy when I say it this way, but <laughs> since, since I call this Kolshak's loop, um, and it is related to uh, the actual Chicago loop that is there, the, the train system. Oh, and then yeah. as, as my uh, co-host and I, Bradley, were talking about it, you know, I thought, well, let's, let's really consider this a show centrally about Kolchak. But then externally, you know, what happened after the show and what influence did this show put on other people. And we know famously mm -hmm. there's the X-Files and, and other shows and, and what the influence what right. there was with that. But really we think of the show now as Kolshak's loop of influence, so to speak. And so bringing it back to sort of the beginning that we talk about with all our guests that come on and their first experiences with Kolshak, um, do, do you remember uh, the, the first episode and, and or the first TV movie that you got to see? I I got into it watching the TV uh, series as a let's see I'd have been huh, well let's see it was early seventies so we're talking I'm late teens early twenties uh, you know when uh, this began so uh, loved the TV series watched every episode and I'm pretty sure that not too far into that series I, I watched the uh, the Night Stalker. Uh, the Night Strangler actually quite a, quite a bit later. <laughs> uh, Same experience for me. I, I didn't see it until years later. Didn't even know it was out there. Yeah, but I loved it from the get go. I, the the premise uh, was just uh, you know it was just uh, I guess the the answer that most people give is after twenty episodes they kind of ran out of monsters. But I think it with creative writing, it might have gone on. And of course, sadly, you know, maybe fortunately, you never know. One one season string leaves classic movies, and and right. they're all, of course, not all of an equal merit. I would say <laughs> there there are a couple clinkers in there, but yeah, but uh, it's the writing of the seventies that was kind of interesting too. Right, right, right. So you you see this then. Um, at a, at a somewhat impressionable age and, and you like the show, but of course it goes away within yeah. a year. Yeah. And then as a lot of us have experienced it, it kept kind of popping back up again, um, a little bit over and mm -hmm. over. And, right. um, you know, I, I honestly don't remember necessarily when I saw it airing again. Um, and, and I will say too, I have kicked myself for a long time, because I used to, one of my favorite things to do was to go into a bookstore and just thumb through whatever I saw. So, you mm -hmm. know, always I would, I would, you know, uh, be gravitate to sci-fi and fantasy first. And then, um, since I was coaching, I would try to find some things for that and exercise science. But then eventually, uh, I'd head over somewhere in TV trivia and whatever else. And I saw Dwidziak's book and it, I saw mm -hmm. it right there. It was there for me. I looked at the cover and I thought, man, I really liked that show as a kid. I, I should buy this. But, you know, with my mind being the way it is, I'm sure some squirrel ran across the top of a bookshelf, <laughs> you know, and I went off over to something else and completely forgot about it. And, of course, now you know that that is one of the hottest tickets around is mm -hmm. to have that book. If, and, of course, then even the second, you know, the, the, the edition that he did. So 
And mm-hmm. and luckily, you know, Mark's made some decisions or made some announcements that that's going to come back out. He is going to do another version of that. Oh, but okay. anyway, so it comes back out and and I see it again. And then, of course, now I'm seeing it through the lens of, I think, a 35-year-old. I'm 56 now, so it was quite a while ago. And um, still really loved every single bit of it. And so... Now that you uh, have told us that you saw it when you were younger and then you went on then to have the career that you had in academia, um, I guess let's let's just go ahead and say a little bit about what drew you into um, becoming a, a professor of English. Was it was it partially the, the research and investigation? Was it the creative writing? It could have been all of the above. Actually, I, uh, I had uh, my senior year in high school, I had two great professors, one in physics and one and one in, in English. Mm-hmm. And uh, initially, uh, Millican University, Decatur, Illinois, my hometown, I started out there in physics and math. And I, <laughs> I realized uh, within about a year and a half that it was not my thing. Yeah. And uh, well, that I wasn't going to be Einstein or solve the Fermat equation or something like that. Uh, <laughs> And and so uh, I did the basic stuff in math, but then bumped into different differential equations and and atomic and nuclear physics and some stuff. And I'm going, well, this may not be for me. I walked into the English office, uh, met a great college English professor uh, uh, or two or three. And uh, uh, this one fellow actually escorted me in and I changed my major junior year. Mm. And did nothing but English and secondary ed courses the last two. Okay. And then um, did the BA uh, at Millican, English and Education, and right. taught some high school for a while. Went back and did my, uh, in the mid-70s, I did my uh, my master's in English at Illinois, University of Illinois. And uh, again, taught a little more high school after that. <laughs> and then... Uh, in the eighties, I went back to Illinois for my journalism masters. Mm. So I did an MS in journalism, Northern Illinois. A few years later, I was chipping away and got most of it done on my PhD. I've, uh, I'm what they call ABD. <laughs> I did everything. I passed the comprehensive tests and everything. I've got about 95 graduate hours, I think toward the doctorate, but, um, didn't, I had two professors retire out from under my, mm, your my dissertation. Yeah, yeah. So, so then they wanted me to start taking courses again. I said, no, I don't think so. Right. They drop off. Supposedly I needed to learn more about Milton a second time or something like that. <laughs> and I was teaching full time and I said, no, I've got, I'm not going to get any, any real benefit. Uh, right. Certainly no financial benefit out of. No. Uh, yeah. Only they were going to benefit so I've got everything done, but the last part of the doctorate okay. in English. Okay. Did some practical journalism work for a while. Uh, a chain of news weeklies, mm-hmm. sports editor, and then eventually editor of one of the one of the newspapers in the chain. Okay. Briefly. Okay. Done a lot of editing and writing. I, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Sure. And this this is an unfair quiz. Um, but so far, no one has known the answer, and I think it's genre specific. Um, I think with most of the the folks we've spoken to, um, we still err mostly on uh, fantasy and and horror, um, especially if we're Kolchak fans. And um, 
but when I ask this question, no one's really seems to ever have heard of these people. So I'm, I'm doubting all the Wikipedia sources I've ever read about, okay. you know, I, I have no clue, but does, does the name Fletcher Pratt, um, ring a bell to you? Oh, oh sure. Thank God. He okay. Was, he was, uh, he worked a lot on his own, of course, and did mm -hmm. some stuff that would be, uh, I guess, sword and sorcery, fantasy, fantasy in general. Uh, Correct. He worked with El Sprig de Camp. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not a big fan of El Sprig de Camp, by the way, but Never that's because of, it's because of the Robert E. Howard fiasco stuff oh, and the rewriting okay. and the pastiching and the... I'm a Howard scholar too, in a sense. I've I've done the, a couple of books and a lot of essays on his poetry. Right, right. Most people don't know that he was even a poet, but he was actually a pretty darn good one. Mm -hmm. I have a, a book out. And it was 2006, I think. Uh, Robert E. Howard's Selected Poems. Okay, which yeah. was my one of my early publications. Awesome. Well, I did I did do a deep dive as much as I could find of you. Um, presenting at a panel on YouTube and, and then another one where you did talk about his poetry. And uh, as you know, I, I still lean heavily on the English side of things and love to, you know, pursue and, and read more about that. And I wish I would have had this streak of curiosity that I have now um, in this mind that I have now when I was 22 <laughs> or at least when I was 20, yeah. that, that would have been nice, but it's all led up to this. So uh, that's okay with me, but it's, it's Fletcher Pratt and, and Sprague the camp that, um, are what have been described as the trapdoor spiders. And so it's the, the name that they gave themselves. And yeah. then, you know, Asimov, I guess not so famously, but somewhat at least notedly, um, wrote them into one of his stories and gave every character there, every person there, basically a character. But the thing I think that blows me away the most, uh, two things now. One, Fletcher Pratt, responsible partly for naval uh, war games, uh, is huh. one of the things they give him uh, um, credit for. And I didn't know that. yeah, so he was quite the, I mean, really quite the scoundrel. For, for quite a time, I mean, with back and forth with his jobs and couldn't really stick on one thing. And, of course, he was in sort of a wealthy uh, group of um, societal people and was able to survive doing the things that he did. But, yeah, he had this, um, you know, gift, let's say, for strategizing um, naval battles. And, mm -hmm. and then the other thing is you talked about being a sports editor there for a while is mm -hmm. there is a link between one of the most famous sports magazines ever and the trapdoor spiders, believe hmm. it or not. So if I think it's called, I see now I'm going to probably get it wrong. I think it's called street and Smith, um, hmm. is the, is the, the publication. Oh, yeah. So yeah, they did a lot of the pulp, uh, the pulp magazines in the old days. Exactly. Uh, and that's big, where big oh, weird sorry. tales collector. Yes. Yes. And so supposedly <laughs> yeah. that's where those, guys from the trapdoor spiders got some some interest from them to publish their things and mm -hmm. and so i have i you know i am a, a probably the world's best procrastinator um you know the whole uh, uh paralysis by analysis type of guy who wants to write something but doesn't really ever do it and mm -hmm. in my head and on paper and on audio recordings and anything else i've ever done I've had this story going in my mind. It wasn't until I found out about the trapdoor spiders and this connection to the sport magazine um, that it just hit so many little 
things for me of what I wanted to do. And you, you can almost think that with me having the exercise science background, um, I'm going to weave this into a story that I have. So it's somewhat also supernatural. So anyway, th- those guys have been on my list. So thank you for being the first person who, who knew something about them. Thank goodness. Yeah. Well, I've, uh, you know, those two, I read, uh, they did a couple collaborations and right. they did some stuff like historical or historical fiction, or actually some, I think the camp had his finger in just about anything that could make a dime. Right. They, yeah. It seemed they, that way. So it was, uh, and he tried to make as many dimes as he could off of, off of as many people as he could, unfortunately. Right. Certainly in Howard's case. Well, but, they, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the story, not sorry to interrupt, but the story um, that they say is that this, this group, you know, they would invite someone to their all men's club that they uh, had. And, and, you know, and then the whole idea about the trap door is they would, it would be in a basement and they would shut the door and no one else could come uh, in. And, but then they would challenge these people. They would come in with just these, uh, you know, basically doing their, their best version of a Socratic argument. And, and just, and it's supposedly like, you know, intellectually eviscerating these people, um, because, and they just, they just enjoyed it. Uh, that's at least again, I I don't, I don't know my sources. Hence the trap door. Well, once they lured you in, you're in trouble. Exactly. Exactly. But they sound sound like a group of scoundrels. That's for sure. (laughs) I would agree there. At least with the camp. Okay. I I never knew. I I met the camp a couple of times. I never (sighs) knew Fletcher Pratt. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, he he had a bad take on the Lord of the Rings, so that kind of spoiled me. On oh. so there weren't enough there weren't enough strong women, in it. and I go, "You're kidding, aren't you? <laughs> did you did you yeah. not see I am no man? Right, <laughs> I mean, did right. you not read that part? Come so, on, so I don't know. Well, that's interesting. Well, this this is I am literally Frank. I got goosebumps right now just thinking about <laughs> more more questions I could ask you, but. Let's so then let's jump into still where Kolshak is for you right now. Um, what's what's going on with him? What brought you back to him? Because I think you've also been pursuing him in, in you know in a, again sort of an academic academic mode. Yeah. Uh, from from what you've told me. So what's going on yeah, with you I'm, and Kolshak uh, now? I'm I'm primarily in, in liter- what really drew me into an English career and the path I took towards specialization is the, is a love of popular imaginative literature, as I call it, the genres that are, in my mind, coming straight from the age of myth, folklore, legend into the age of print. So, uh, matter of fact, I just published the first issue of a, a journal from my publishing imprint, Mind's Eye. Uh, called Journey, J O U R N dash E. Yeah, I saw this. It's, it's available online and in print. But first issue, and it covers. It's uh, ambitious because it tries to cover five genres: the ones I'm specializing in: adventure, detection, and mystery, fantasy, horror, supernatural, and science fiction. Hmm. So uh, I think that the popular fiction of today and for the last quite a while. Uh, we can go back beyond uh, Sherlock Holmes, certainly, right. back into the 1800s, um, is is a, an extension of that. It's the kind of stuff people enjoy reading, not the stuff you were forced to read in school because it was classic, although some stuff of that is pretty good. I mean, Mark Twain's a classic, but he's also the, 
the best writer we've ever had. Right. You know, and he has such a range of, of uh, full of voices in his mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so popular fiction in general, and uh, in, in terms of literary criticism angles, I'm I'm uh, I'm a pre post structuralist. Okay. <laughs> in other words, I'm, I'm You're a formalist. Tell me what that means. Yeah. Uh, most, most of my critical viewpoint is from is from probably what would be called the mid to later part of the 20th century. I'm a formalist structuralist. I do a lot of Jungian archetypal criticism, oh, okay. symbolisms and stuff like that. That's right. That's right. But in formalism, uh, and I've done work in what's called stylometrics, uh, the the analysis of style using uh, statistical methods to try to, it was used at first to try to verify if somebody was indeed that writer. They used it in the Unabomber case to prove that it was sort of very closely indicate that he was. So I'm very much into the structure and the, the creation of literature okay. and how it's done, yeah. the, the act of making. So Kolchak to me <clears throat> fits into the, the genre that I'm really interested in, the occult detective. I say detective because that's what reporters are really. Yeah, uh, it's, I, I don't see a big difference. They, they're investigative, trying to find out truth, going through clues, checking sources. Uh, the idea that they're trying to discover something or get at some particular uh, solution to a, mm-hmm. a problem. Or in, in Kolchak's case, it's always a problem. Uh, certainly, he's very much as much the detective as the reporter. He's not just going to a scene and taking notes and asking good questions. He gets personally involved. Mm-hmm. So he, he, this is because it's one of the many ways he's like Sherlock Holmes. Uh, mm. the, the official police are worthless right. <laughs> and, and, and never are on the right track. Right. He, on the other hand, sees the correct path and gets to it, even at, uh, despite danger uh, and the threat of death to himself. You know, he goes through risky situations and adventures every every episode. So he's he's got several things in common with the classic detective, and and for, formally, uh, I see the Kolchak, especially the TV series, as being a very formulaic thing. Oh yeah, sure. Which is not bad. See, I, I'm on the side that says formula or formulae in general are not a bad thing because mm-hmm. we we live a life that is formulaic. Sure, <laughs> it's the, it's been the same pretty much. For all of us from as far back as even before that, that people can be remembering anything. So, so birth, life, death, you know, uh, father, mother, child, uh, there's all sorts of trinities of things and, and all sorts of repeated patterns, mm-hmm. uh, the stories that resonate. Romeo and Juliet becomes West Side Story. Oh, yeah. yeah. Becomes, you know, so I did a lot of work in folklore and the folklorists, uh, like to do that formal analysis, uh, what motifs make up this story. Mm-hmm. So there's a set, a set for the Kolchak TV thing. That's the challenge with a formula is to have it repeat like, like Conan Doyle does with Sherlock Holmes. Right. He's basically putting it on the same framework that was really designed initially by Poe with uh, murders in the room org and a couple other stories. Poe invents this classic story and, and Doyle perfects it. Mm-hmm. And Agatha Christie and others pick it up also, but there's only a few exceptions to 
to what Kolchak does that in some ways Holmes does too. They're, they're both eccentric detectives or they're both eccentric, which is one of the things that you, I guess, need to be in a lot of these to be somehow different. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember the monk series on TV? Oh yeah. <laughs> Where he's, he's got a phobias of everything, but, oh, yeah. he, but he solves the case. Miss mm-hmm. Marple, the little old lady detective, you know, so father Brown, one of my favorites was Chesterton. Right. Uh, the little Catholic priest detective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So eccentricity, which Kolchak certainly has, uh, is one of them. The stories almost always begin with a voiceover. Or, that brings up one other thing. Fiction and, and teleplay or screenplay are, of course, two different art forms. You know, there's words involved, but but the creation of a TV play is... Uh, is different from uh, from fiction. Uh, it, I imagine people, as I have myself, tried to tried to write. Matter of fact, I just submitted a uh, for the the, the uh, open call that was made a while back. I think it closes on the fifteenth. I submitted a Kolchak story, but it's it's tough to do in fiction because, uh, of course, drama is a whole thing, other thing. We see him in action, right. And, and we have musical background. We have cuts and establishing shots of the highway at Chicago and the train rattling past the INS windows. And, right, <laughs> and right. then we zoom inside. And at the end, he's always talking to either to us or to his tape recorder. Mm-hmm. Do you so there are patterns his, like that. Yeah. Do you see his um, times that he speaks into the recorder as being similar to, if not, exactly like the Greek chorus um, who, you know, you you have this voiceover, so to speak to the story. Right. And it it really helps connect the, the audience to what's happening uh, without necessarily, you know, having to show you, you know, come on, this, this is where we are. So I've always thought of it in that way. With the, well, with the, with the only maybe important exception that he's both, the primary actor, the protagonist, correct, correct. as the Greeks would call it. And, and he's also then a member of the chorus. But to bring the tape recording in and have him mm. sometimes replaying that mm-hmm. is certainly more chorus-like. Yes. But his comment, the, the other things about those commentaries is uh, it's not just a voiceover like in many dramas that we see, but in many cases at the end, especially in the epilogue, He's talking directly to us as the audience. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. he's facing the camera, and he's he's breaking the fourth wall, as as dramatists would look at it. The idea that uh, in that case it's kind of metadrama. He's he's going, you know, it's a, he's commenting upon the story he's actually in yes. to us, the the reader, and/or speaking it into his recorder. Uh, so those that balance of episodes like that, it's almost always a lead in a prologue and an epilogue. Correct. With the, Correct. With the, uh, his voice. Okay. Either taping something or, you know, gotcha. speaking to us. Gotcha. But, but so you absolutely then have this, um, academic interest in it and how yeah. it is a part of really some of the, I, I like to even call them the most important types of stories that have been told, and keep getting sort of retold again when you talk about, you know, Romeo and Juliet and, and right. West Side Story and, you know, and, and it really these kind of universal truths that we find ourselves in. Um, yeah. 
And, and then, but what takes you from that academic side then? Because I think when you talk about it being, uh, this isn't exactly the word you use, but being eccentric, well, being eccentric. And therefore, I think for a lot of people, we see that as exciting, uh, to us, if not even, mm -hmm. you know, titillating or something like that, that it's just so exciting to see him on the edge of death, you know, so much and have that cathartic experience. Oh, right. It's the, it's the vicarious experience of, right. of adventure. It's a, when we, when we associate with a character in fiction or drama, uh, you know, the audience uh, watching Oedipus the King uh, was, was weeping, but the, they knew the story. Mm -hmm. But what, you know, when Sophocles does a great play and the words come out perfectly and it's really eloquent stuff, uh, the, uh, you know, even though they knew the tragedy, they, they feel the tragedy. Right. Uh, in the case of Kolchak, I think we, you know, the idea that the audience can share in that sort of bravado and uh, he's a man for, his time, I think, in, in a lot of ways, he's uh, a lot of things going on in the world of journalism at that time, too. Exactly. You know, and the idea of, of changing from the, the state old regular, although then again, sensationalist press has been around for a long time. Look at the Jack the River era. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Completely. So then, so then agreeing with all that, what then is it that kind of connection that makes you, and I mean this somewhat jokingly, but also seriously, seriously, um, want to cosplay yourself in Kolshak garb, <laughs> you know, when you show up to this, this I'm, convention that you're going to, and I think we did, we did I, mention I, it, right? Stoker con is what right, it is, right? Yeah, I've, I've done a little bit of that already. That one guy at uh, Robert E. Howard days, uh, many years ago, uh, thought I looked like, uh, what's his name? Alan, uh, the guy that plays the the skipper in uh, Gilligan. Oh, Alan Hale Jr. Alan Alan Hale. Yeah. Uh, Jr. Yeah. And uh, the next year, I showed up with uh, the light blue shirt and, and trousers <laughs> and a skipper hat and the whole thing. So, uh, oh, yeah, good. I guess that's part of my uh, the ham in me or something. Uh, this is going to be the more the first kind of full fledged. Uh, cosplay i think you could say mm -hmm. uh, i just i saw this panel coming and i've been re-interested in kolchak again over the last uh half year i i uh copied and have reviewed the the whole series a couple of times right taking taking notes mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. trying to try and again this this is the formalist the structural interest i have in in the way things are created I taught a course in screenwriting, tell, you know, that kind of, it's, it's a whole different thing from lit, of course, right, or from right, fiction. Right. Uh, it's a, it's, you're, you're giving, uh, you know, the, those things that the director and the actors have to fill in and to make it a live experience or via the screen, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the reader has to fill in, in a, in a fictional short story or novel. Uh, the the screen is in our mind, or our imagination creates the character. Right. When they did the first the Lord of the Rings, I was sorry that it was so many years later than the book that I, I had always pictured, for instance, Alec Guinness as Gandalf, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and John Wayne as Theoden, and, and some other. I had my own casting, but that was yeah. in my head. Well, in, so, he, in the I, and, and I appreciate everything you've been saying about this, and I, I just. Uh, 
I, I love to get nerdy and academic. It just <laughs> really, there's little else that thrills me these days, except on the other side of that, I'm a shot put and discus coach. So I love oh, the, wow. the grind, the grit and grime and, and guts of, you know, exercising and throwing metal objects far and that type <laughs> of stuff, which makes me feel a little Conan-esque a tiny bit because I can throw a javelin pretty darn good also, there but go. uh, pretty darn well. Anyway, um, I have heard a few people that we've interviewed and also I've heard them in other podcasts. It seems like there's a catchphrase now that I'm only catching on to hearing people say it. They're saying that there is a math to, and then that's when they're talking about creating art or creating literature or stories. Maybe it's just creating stories. It's, I've heard people say, yeah, there's a simple math to this, or there's a certain type of math to that. And when you talk about being formulaic, um, with Kolshak and then your, actually your former, uh, interest in math and physics, uh, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it seems, it seems, um, uh, similar yep. to mine in that the one thing I did love to do as a kid and as a teacher, I love um, diagramming sentences. It yeah. to, to me, it was one of the best ways to know again, the structure, so to speak, the math, You're you know, a rarity there. well, and, and, and when <laughs> Any, I taught anymore, it anymore anyway, Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, even when I taught yeah. it in the early nineties, Oh boy. I mean, no other teacher was teaching it really. And yeah. It, it, you know, there, there were all kinds of other issues I had. And really it was the parts of speech broke me, I think more than anything else <laughs> that I couldn't well, get my kids to just kids, recognize yeah, the parts of speech. But, I, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I, the formalists in general, the, uh, a movement that started, uh, actually with, with Russia <laughs> and mm. the Russian formalists, uh, Shlovsky and, uh, Vladimir Prop, uh, the morphology of the folktale, the shape of the folktale. You know, he studied Russian tales. Uh, the people who started the formalist and structuralist movements, uh, one of the mottos of formalism is that they want to make the study of literature more scientific, mm -hmm. <laughs> to make it more of a science, unless everybody can have their own opinion, and this is how I see it, and all subjectivity with you know uh, maybe some interesting levers but no place to stand right <laughs> like I see, the way i see deconstruction by the way mm -hmm. sure uh, it's, you know it's a clever theory but i think the meaning does happen you know th things like that uh so i'm uh like i say with the with my folklore background uh you can actually trace i think a a framework formula for the kolchak's episodes there's now, that doesn't mean they're all going to be stereotypically the same. They're going to all be different. But it's like Conan Doyle did. You hang the new story on this basic framework. Uh, the the prologue begins usually with Kolchak in the office, train rattling by on the train, uh, somewhere parked with his uh, recorder saying, you're not going to believe this, but here we go. Uh, we have the... Uh, we don't really have what, what Holmes has. We don't really have the sidekick, which is a typical element of most classic detective stories. We've got we've got a couple foil characters though. Vincenzo is is almost diametric. You know, they have things in common, or they wouldn't be foils. Journalists, you know, you know, in a little way, hard nosed, but Vincenzo is uh, is so into making sure it's. It's verified, you know, check mm -hmm. it out. 
mm-hmm. even if your mom says check it out <laughs> and then we have ron <laughs> another foil who's just the antithesis of the gritty tough cynical i'm going to go get the story type of guy that kolchak is right so we right. have and we have some chicago irregulars you might call them that help Kolchak out once in a while but it's usually never the same person in any two episodes right uh, but uh, there are helpers along the quest uh so there, there are elements of uh not only the home stuff but of myth and folktale going back you mentioned numbers though applied to stories mm-hmm. there are several people who are trying to teach screenwriting and or novel writing mm-hmm. that break it down you know noticing things like uh, Shakespeare did plays in five acts, you know, a setup, a, a three-part body, a conclusion. And, and that's one of the the mathematical suggestions given by many, uh, many, of course, the minimum is beginning intro body conclusion, beginning, middle, end, mm-hmm. unless you're going to leave people hanging at the end, which is all sorts of moderns have tried to change that, but old Freitag's pyramid way back, you know, the idea oh, yeah. that there's a plot, a basis in conflict and the plot moves up to a crisis and comes down. That's pretty much the way we build them. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then there, there are the common motifs that happen in any given genre. And those, those motifs, when they pile together, become a formula, not necessarily dictating. Well, now if I say, I'm going to write a story about, boy and girl from feuding families fall in love. <laughs> I pretty much set myself up for the, <laughs> for the, for the Romeo and Juliet story. Right. But, right. but a thing like use of disguise is a motif that, well, Holmes does it all the time. Right. And in a few episodes, Kolchak does. He pretends mm-hmm. he's a doctor. He pre- well, yeah, we <laughs> just, pre- we just covered that. Yeah. yeah. Where were so, yeah. so that's a common motif. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, you know, as much as I think um, we might gravitate sometimes to people who break the mold, so to speak, and we think they've taken such risks and and then we can hold on to it. I I can only, this isn't a great example, but I'm thinking at least in movies, you know, Quentin Tarantino uh, with with Pulp Fiction and the way he did it now. You know, mm-hmm. he, of course, was heavily, heavily influenced by Kurosawa and some of his stories and and which is fine, mm-hmm. you know, which which is good. We we jumped, you know, uh, societies and countries <laughs> to be able to bring, you know, that other perspective right. to it. So I, I'm, you know, completely happy with all that. But, yeah, I mean, Kolshak really pretty much writes itself to a certain extent, but it's that that wonderful you know, spice, uh, in, in the, in the middle of the formula that is, is calling all those variables, you know, with, with David Chase having such an influence on so many episodes and his, his zombie episode just being incredible with Mm -hmm. the, the various characters. And I still just love, I love the car scene. Uh, when he's talking yeah. to Posado and, uh, and there's like, what's a Kolchak? You know, it's a Kolchak. He's a reporter. <laughs> and, you know, they, they go through it. Oh, no, that's my brother, Marshall Kolchak. He does the societal column. And, I, and I've sort of isolated for myself. Uh, this, this is my obsession completely. But all the times that he says, aha, um, in the series. Because mm-hmm. I just love it when he says it. And he does it even in, because you know it's, it's a McGavin thing. 
He does it mm-hmm. even in the Christmas story. Um, he throws out a couple ahas in oh, that yeah. too. And it's, it's, I think it's maybe <laughs> okay. somewhere around when it's, it's a clinker. And, you know, when he runs down to the basement and battles with the, with the furnace and says his obscenities. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just, I, I like holding on to that, that same sort of knowledge of the formula. And then again, what, what I've seen now that I've examined the show as deeply as we have, I see mm. now the, the, like, like what I'm calling now the spice, you know, no, it's just think, the, the, the beautiful mixture sure. and the flavor of the well, episodes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, in, in one of my poems, I mentioned, I, I note that liquid is a thing hoped to be true. Uh, and liquid fills the shape it's poured into the idea that, uh, that the, the content of uh, that or the, the the stuff that's draped on this frame on this formulaic plot structure uh the the series would never have lasted uh more than a few episodes if, if we didn't have a really interesting character right right the, the character of kolchak makes the thing and and, the, and as well as it's written the kind of cynical tough grinding uh, not completely fearless because he certainly has to flee from a lot of the critters he bumps into. These are right. super human, supernatural things. The, the only, I can't even think that there's in the, uh, what is it? The, uh, the Ripper, the first one, mm-hmm. there's a, there's one, one case where I guess you could say technology wins where he electrocutes. <laughs> right. But, but then again, this guy is supposed to have been around since, 1888 you know so that's a little bit supernatural right there yeah right and uh and all the rest of them are just you know playing off of they were they they dug into uh what mayan and uh, mm-hmm. native american and and uh of course the the, the classic uh robotics stuff that's right, coming with, out with into, ring uh, yeah asimov's uh uh my robot, I think, oh, yeah. is kind of back in that same era. That I, you know, it's a mm-hmm. so the robotics and that era just before the dawn of when the '80s hits with the beginnings of computers or personal computers and right and and the the arc we've taken since then. Right, yeah. right. There, yeah. there are a couple things about the show, and and now I'm going to steer us forward a little bit, make this transition into thinking about. Um, what we're seeing now on television and you also mm-hmm. going to the, the conference. But there are a couple scenes where um, I would be thrilled to death if I ever got to interview and, and hear an interview from the Duffer brothers who created Stranger Things, mm-hmm. um, if this show influenced them in any way. Um, uh, have, you, have you seen Stranger Things? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I'm for the fourth season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. the the episode where Bob the Brain, uh, or Rudy, as I like to call him, and everything he's in, um, Sean Aston, is figuring out the the map that Will has drawn um, from his his images in his head, and they they bring Bob in to sort of trace through that and put all the images together. But before that, it's when Joyce and Hopper see them and start piecing them together themselves. And they're the ones who make the connections because they see this piece fits to this piece and that and whatever. Well, mm-hmm. the the Colshack the episode um, where he, I think it's the energy eater, um, mm-hmm. where there is, again, a Native American spirit who is 
um, haunting this building and causing all kinds of destruction inside the building. Um, they are able to capture these, I don't know if it's x-ray images of it. I think that may be what it is. And then they piece all these images together and they are able to see finally this, this image of the monster and they piece them all together. And to me, that's straight out of uh, stranger things than is taking that straight out of culture. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, you know, so that eater is so uh, what, um... Well, Monty it's Monito or yeah, something. Yeah, I, I mispronounce Indian, it all the time, so I'm not. Native, I'm, I'm trying not to say it. It's supposed to be. Yeah, it was the second in a row, I think, of, of uh, Native American influenced uh, shows. I think the second, because uh, there was that one about the the Bruja or the uh, the Brujo, the Indian witch doctor type yes. of thing. You know, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. certainly the 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 things that make up a supernatural. The niche he fits into, I divide horror fiction into different categories. There's the ghost story proper, of course, that's just a type unto itself. There's the uh, the story that H.P. Lovecraft calls the physical fear, which he doesn't write. You know, the idea like when, when Stephen King writes Cujo or Misery, mm, mm, or there's sure. a, you know, this is a, or Hannibal Lecter, real human physical fear we believe this could really be and is in the in the actual world. <clears throat> of course, the serial killer has become a genre unto itself. But there's one that's the supernatural monster story, which is a, a niche, you know, with Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy, the werewolf, right, <laughs> the right, whole sequence right. that Universal did. Uh, and And most of the adversaries, except for those humans who have somehow lived on, like in the Night Stalker movie, uh, you know, the essences of life being taken to live on for right. another another hundred years or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh, the, in most of the cases, the adversaries are not not human. They're they're supernatural beings or entities. And I don't know, maybe they ran out of them. <laughs> or, or for various reasons, the show didn't come back. Part, partly Correct. because of Gavin, right? Yeah, yeah. What, from what DeWidziak says, Mark DeWidziak, who's been on our show a few times. Um, yeah, it really was, I think Darren really wanted producer credit uh, for the series. And, and they yeah. would have made, actually, a third movie. And the series never would have happened mm -hmm. had he not had so many disagreements with Dan Curtis, who was the producer, mm -hmm. of course, famously of Dark Shadows. Bradley will be excited right. that I said Dark Shadows. That's his favorite show of all time, evidently. Um, sorry, I rolled, <laughs> I rolled right over that. Anyway, um, yeah, and so they fought so much that it ended up being, you know, Dan was out um, of the, the TV production. Uh, Jeff Rice was out for doing really any kind of writing. Matheson was out uh, for mm -hmm. doing any more writing. So really the, the TV, the, the heart and soul other than McGavin uh, of the TV crew was kind of, the TV movie crew was gone when you yeah. brought into the series and it just didn't work out. And it really it, it sounded like McGavin would have liked to have done something more similar to um, uh, David Banner and the Incredible Hulk. Uh, where mm. he would just be a traveling reporter and he would mm. be in a new situation, in a new city all the time, um, seeing these supernatural things. And sure maybe it was a little more, I don't know if, if he was searching for some true continuity and some, some revealing that he, 
you know, now he, he sees these things mm. constantly and he's able to comment on them as opposed so like to a, the, the one and done every week. You know, this didn't right. happen this week. I'm just doing this now. So something more like Mulder and Scully. Correct. Uh, completely. Uh, not FBI agents, but an investigative reporter specializing in going to the next weird place. Exactly. Something strange has happened. Exactly. That would have been a it cool. Would have been great. Development. Yeah. yeah that and, been great. Yeah, and, and there were characters in uh, the Night Stalker, like you had mentioned, other than our sort of our regulars with Tony and Ron, and and uh, I really miss Emily. Kind of fit in there a little bit in some of hers, and and uh, funny enough that she you know had some roles where she wasn't Miss Emily, uh, you know, in in the Ripper, right. and then eventually she was Miss right. Emily, and uh, and then of right. course you had uh, Monique, um, who was in there, who was uh, famously the eventually the voice of Howard's mother and. And um, um, Big Bang Theory. But anyway, um, so I, I, I'm amazed that the show has this many legs still, mm -hmm. um, that so many people are so interested in it. And, and mm -hmm. there is such a huge, uh, you know, amount of variety for how the fandom that I see on these particular sites and conversations I've had with people receive the show. You know, I, I think the vast majority, hey, that was a cool show with a funny investigator who always got himself into hijinks and had some cool monsters. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think that's the bulk of what everybody thinks. And I think all of us have that uh, underbelly, undertone, let's say, of the way that we enjoy it and connect with it. And then we've got, you know, the, the sort of extremes outside of that and the people who look into it more deeply with podcasting, yourself mm -hmm. with being academics and, you know, conventions that will talk about these 50th anniversaries. And now mm -hmm. you've got James Aqualung who has put together the, you know, the, the, the graphic novels and the, the uh, short stories um, book that he's putting out. So it, it kind of, it really, again, it just kind of blows my mind that it's had this resurgence, but I guess right. what I'll say, my last comment on this, and if you haven't heard this one, this would be a probably a good episode to hear is we did finally, after a two-year payoff, get to meet and talk to Jeff Rice's son, James. Hmm. And um, he then was able to give us some insight into his dad and his writing process and what mm -hmm. it was like. And, and, and James had admitted um, you know, that he's got some uh, feelings about his father that he has some regret about because they were estranged for quite some time. And, mm -hmm. and you know, Jeff's own issues that he had with uh, maybe stardom, with doing things where you think he, Mark has said, you know, if you thought that anybody named Rice would be famous for writing vampire novels, you know, after 1973, it, it wasn't going to be, you know, Anne Rice. You wouldn't even known that it was her. You mm. thought for sure it was going to be Jeff Rice, but, mm. you know, it turned out to be somebody else. So I'm rambling a little bit, but where, where does that put us now with um, what you're going to be doing very shortly here in, in a few days? What's what? Tell us a little bit more about what's going on with that. What, just simply what you know of the panel, and and knowing fully going in, we don't know a whole lot about it. Um, it hasn't happened yet, so I'm just trying right. to use this whole episode again as a precursor to that eventual um, talk that we have again after you go to the panel. Let me let me put it this way: I'll yeah. have uh, as part of my gear, I'll have my reporter's notebook with me as well. <laughs> the slender, you know, the thin pad that's traditional. Awesome. I've got, awesome. A, I've got so many of those in a box that didn't get distributed to kids. 
or students, I should say. <laughs> I'll never go through all those, but I'll take notes of nothing else. I'm going to ask the panelists if I can record it. If, if they'll let me, I will. Some of the things they're doing are live streamed and some they might consider one panelist or another might, if, like if any one of them would say, no, I don't want that then I'm pretty much out of luck on that. Right. I can certainly give a full report of uh, from my notes, which I will take, because I, I do. Uh, I did take the, the journalism work. <laughs> right, right. I've done, I've done a lot of uh, actual practicing journalism. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll basically have something to say. What, what their focus is going to be, I'm sure, from the title, not only Kolchak 50 years later, but the, the subtitle is going into what are the influences still, huh? the, what we've been talking about a little bit here, what repercussions right. have there been? How has that extended into this, this era? Some of it may just be, may be just nostalgia, but I think it's beyond that. It's a, a good story hangs around. And, and that series, I think of the way the ratings go for one, one year wonders. Uh, <laughs> I think Kolchak's right, right up near the top. Of, right where people are placing it, you know, like the, oh, that only lasted a year. Right. Right. And, uh, yeah. Right. And it's, and it's, and really it's, it's impact was actually three years. You know, if you mm -hmm. think about the TV movies that, right. that sort of stayed within that, um, I don't know what you want to call it. Um, just, the, the yeah. I mean, it just stayed in people's minds. Let's just keep it simple like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and it's, uh, on those sites that we're on, you know, every now and then people find pictures of McGavin when he was younger and you see this, you know, really virile inch, you know, very fit, uh, kind of intense mm -hmm. still character. And mm -hmm. I love how I feel like Kolshak is the older version of that. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and again, I'm older than McGavin was when he started filming it. <laughs> so, yeah, he would have been what, right at 50, wouldn't he? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Somewhere yeah. in his uh, late 40s, early 50s. He looks a little younger than that, but I, I think he was born in, well, 22, right? Exactly, his, exactly. Yeah. The 100th, yeah, the 100th yeah. anniversary, which our, our group did last night. So if you're listening to this, I don't know if we've got that recorded or not. Um, I was seeing Janet Jackson. Uh, okay. perform <laughs> oh, okay. and, and also new, new edition, which I was blown away by. I had no idea. Cause I, those groups were kind of a little too much younger for me, uh, when I mm -hmm. was going through college, but seeing them now, whew, I never stopped dancing the whole time, but <laughs> anyway, I, I, I digress. So the, the, the hope is, and, and I'm pretty sure we're going to be able to do this. Um, as we now send Frank off as an unofficial reporter for Kolshak's loop. <laughs> checks in the mail for all right <laughs> but uh we'll you know hopefully have just a, a conversation again um and, and hear what those those folks up there have, have talked about do you yeah, i hate to put you on the spot do you know the names of some of the folks that'll be up there talking about cole shack i could look yeah. this up myself but i didn't yeah james uh i'm trying to think is it aqualung the guy who did the book I, I believe he is okay. a panelist. I have not that met would make him sense. Yet. Okay, uh, James uh, Chamberlain. Uh, there's a couple guys that are Horror Writers Association okay. officers uh, who actually are big Kolchak people. One of them, at least, is going to be there. And the other, uh, I remember Aquilona's, I think, on the panel. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure he is. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 
it's it's a niche uh, panel because of course the the majority of stuff is going to be on uh, well the, this is kind of like as I mentioned occult detection uh, right which is a, a niche of the of the horror genre that most of the people are going to be looking at the film festival and looking at the other genres of horror uh, mm-hmm. and there are tons that have developed <laughs> and the the crossovers like uh, dark fantasy and and uh, science fictional horror which is becoming a bigger and bigger thing mm-hmm. um, well shows of course the, the twilight zone is not a good comparison but of course it has huge impact right and shows like the outer limits that were maybe more than a couple seasons maybe one or two but not, not long lived mm-hmm. and uh, of course Karloff's series uh, there was a reinvigoration in that era of the stuff that was uh, was the pulp magazines 30 years before hmm. uh, mm-hmm. detection sci-fi early magazines weird tales where uh, <clears throat> where Howard and uh, Lovecraft and Clark Ashton Smith and others are are doing their stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm a big collector of weird tales. I usually get the ones that are coverless and all beat up because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. the mint ones cost a fortune. Gotcha, gotcha. So uh, a little bit of collection. Let me, By the way, I go ahead. I don't know how I got Carl to freeze back there for the whole show, but right. <laughs> Right, it looks I took, good. I took a took a clip from a video intro. Uh, see, I've got everything set up there. I've got even got the recorder and the camera. You do, I know. I, I've, yeah, I've the seen camera your set me that. back a little bit too. The camera, but it did. You know, I we we don't well, it's have a functional one. It works. Oh right? yeah, yeah. I saw you talking about shaving down one of the cartridges or something like that. To, yeah, I found out to make that it fit. Minolta, or, yeah, Minolta cartridge, which is a doubled like the old one ten film. Yeah. If you if you shave off the smaller one of them, it fits into the. There you go. But of course, the film I've got in the camera now is 1980, so okay. I'm not sure it'll come out. <laughs> I mean, I had stuff that I took in the 80s that barely came out at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. That were probably in my camera for like a year. I still have these horrible photos, exposed photos from my trip to New York when I was a kid. Um, all right, I got a couple hot takes because I'm curious about this because you said that you met uh, Sprague de Camp. Am I saying that right? Sprague de Camp? Yes. Okay. L. Sprague, I've always yeah. called it so Sprague de Camp. Yeah. Right, right. Did you? I, I have a one of my favorite um, sci-fi and fantasy writers was actually a guy from, I believe he was in Minnesota, and you may have run across him at some point. Did you ever happen to meet Gordon R. Dixon? I've never met. No, I know the name and I've read some of his stuff. I don't. Okay. I don't, I don't believe I ever ever met him. No. Yeah, he he um wrote uh, the Dragon Knight series, which wow. I really enjoyed, and it was really my first exposure to someone who wrote with exercise science explaining fantasy. Um right. he he did sort of like the energy expenditure of what a knight would have to do during um a sword uh, fight versus, you know, um yeah. ha- having a lance and battling a, a dragon. And then he did this what I just love, this, you know, quasi scientific explanation of how dragons breathe fire. And uh, just <laughs> loved it. Just loved it. But that's that's a guy that I, I love and have, and wanted to um mention on there. And now the other one I was gonna ask you just escaped me completely. So that's okay. 
because I got I got to the trapdoor spiders. So that really is, <laughs> whew, I'm telling you, that that has yeah. been a couple years that I've been waiting to hear somebody talk about that. But it was actually no, just just a year because it was it was Jeff's son James who mm. um, introduced me to the idea as we were texting back and forth about ideas for things about uh, I think he just called it urban fiction maybe. I don't know if that's even a term necessarily that anybody uses. I, I looked it up in Wikipedia and was able to find it. It might've been urban fantasy, not necessarily urban fiction. It was probably mm-hmm. urban fantasy. Mm-hmm. And and that's what led me to Fletcher Pratt and uh, the trapdoor spiders is that, that sort of mm-hmm. Wikipedia rabbit hole uh, that I went down. And well, there's a lot of, a lot of dystopian. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, science fiction. That is, of course the city's the back of the, the city, the, the the world, but the city gone wrong is the, you know, a big theme. And yes, in that. you're right. You know, you're right. Like Blade you're Runner right. and uh, oh yeah, completely. Uh, and et cetera, you know, Judge Dredd and shows like that way back. Those right. are now those are old. <laughs> right. Well, just two two more random thoughts then, because now I remember. So in the Mister Ring episode, it sounds like the writers of that episode, uh, you know, the, the robot made a mm-hmm. reference to Blade Runner and Gordon and uh, Philip K. Dick because the company that um, created the ring robot is very similar, if not the same name of the company that creates the androids in uh, uh, do, do you dream of electric sheep and, you know, right. and then eventually right. Blade Runner. And and then the other one, again, it's another stranger things with the Duffer brothers, you know, one of the most, um, important episodes is is Dustin asking everybody to get their compasses out in the first season, and you know, do you see what your compasses are doing? And they're not, you know, pointing towards True North, mm-hmm. and, and and you know, they have this discussion. Well, there is the um, UFO episode with the worst title ever of any TV show I think that I can think of. They are, they will, they have been, you know, yeah, they, right, they yeah, disappeared, right. they ran away and whatever it's sort a, of it's a little, conjugating, a lengthy, yeah. yeah, conjugating versions of they, right. you know, that they did, but they, they have the episode there where they talk about um, a super high powered magnet that would be pointing towards or distorting what is North. Right. And, and I think, right. Oh man, come on. You, you can't yeah. tell me, that there isn't a chance. I won't say that you knew it for certain, but there isn't a chance that you weren't influenced by that. So there, there again, moving to the future and, and how I think Kolshak has legs. Um, you know, it, it, we can at least make these jumps in watching it as a fan now and other yeah. TV shows that are out there. And, yeah. uh, and yes, uh, I mean, who can't wait for season four of stranger things? Right. I mean, Hopper with a shaved head right. being in a Russian right. prison, you know, whatever else it is that they're doing with that. Oh my gosh. That that's amazing. Well, Frank, how can people get in touch with you? Um, if you, if you, if you dare desire them to get okay. in touch with you, I, I've got, how, a, how do they do it? I've got a, uh, a Facebook page. So I'm touchable probably or request seeing me there. The easier way though, to email me with, if they have a question specifically would be just, uh, uh, F. Kaufman, F-C-O-F-F-M-A-N, at Comcast.net. Right. So uh, I, I will uh, do my best to respond to any email. 
I was going to say, I'm just, I've just I, completely I get, set you up for this without asking you if that was okay. I get a few hundred of them a day, but I, uh, I glitch <laughs> oh, no. most of them off. Wow. Most of these spam things, and uh, you oh, want okay. $100,000, or you owe $100,000. You know, they try to get you that way to click the button. Correct. <laughs> correct, correct. And I'm, I'm too savvy to do that. Good for you. So, so uh, yeah, that's that's one way. I've started a... I've been busy. I've been more as busy in retirement as I was teaching. I uh, have done a lot of publishing of my own stuff. I've right. got three major books of poetry out now, three thick ones. And uh, I just published a, a cult detective, a short fiction collection. So i uh, got, uh, those are on, I think they're all on Amazon now, Barnes and Noble. Gotcha. Uh, going through Lulu. I don't have a press in the back room or anything. <laughs> <laughs> like Carl does downstairs or wherever they, <laughs> whatever INS did. I, yeah. They probably had their own presses, I'm guessing. But uh, Right, right, yeah. right. Well, that's you just triggered then um, the other thought that I had, which was when you had mentioned about being a collector. Um, the other person I was going to ask you if you've ever run into is J. Gordon Melton. Um, are you familiar with him at all? He's written one of the vampire encyclopedia books, if not the uh, vampire encyclopedia book. Uh, okay. I, uh, I have not, I've seen that name mm -hmm. in, in connection with vampires. Uh, a good friend of mine, a, a poet in Australia, Kyla Ward, uh, is a big, uh, she just did a, an essay in, uh, S.T. Joshi's Spectral Realms, the mm -hmm. last issue on, uh, her study of the history of the vampire and oh, literature, good. poetry, poetry, good. Is, good. the vampire and poetry, I think it is especially. But so that's one of her special interests. So I, I'm sure she's got that book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I, I got it too. And and when you talked about uh, Russian, uh, the influence of, of Russia and folklore and storytelling, and um, there there is a uh, professor. I want to say his last name is Garcia, somewhere out of Texas, maybe who, um, and I may be getting that name wrong, but has <coughs> specifically studied uh, Russian vampires and their, mm. their stories of that and how they have mm. their own perspective on it. And, and I've been on this little quest. The, the Strigoi. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Slavic thing, not just Russian. Correct. Yeah, I'm sorry, that, that sort of but, Slavic but No, bend. but the Russians do have their own take on it. But Correct. There are people, some of the other Slavic nations, where they still do. They had a case a little a uh, few years ago where they actually a guy was, I think, killed because mm -hmm. they thought he was a vampire, or they robbed one grave and decapitated the corpse, and right, all sorts of stuff. That's, right, I'm sorry, getting I'm, I'm getting excited about that, but yes, yeah, I mean that's horrible, but but yeah, yeah. um, and and so the the one thing I was trying to do, and I, I'm getting over our time here, but. Um, the one thing I was trying to do was to search for the very first truly sympathetic monster, if not mm -hmm. the first sympathetic vampire. And then, you know, the, the stories and, and, and some of the things, it seems like many things, um, lead back to Lilith from, you mm -hmm. know, the, the, the first version of the garden. The Hebrew, of yeah. 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 The first wife of that. Correct. Correct. And her influence and some, you know, shows like true blood and others have called her the first vampire and, and other mm -hmm. ones have had her, um, you know, partnering with other beings that were sort of vampire esque, 
In yeah. some versions of the myth, she's depicted, you know, van- as a vampire. A vampire type, correct? Succubus, uh, some sort. Correct, but I, you know, certainly evil being. Yeah, yeah, but my my version of it, in my head at least, is that wouldn't she be somewhat sympathetic? At least she is to me, because she actually the the story is she wanted to, I guess, sort of be her own self and not necessarily be subservient to man. And, and then, and therefore she was shunned and kicked out and then they, you know, made all these disparaging comments about her and then made her, turned her into this, this other mm-hmm. thing. If, if we, you know, take it to the point that it was true and, and, or even the myth true and all, you mm-hmm. know, the, the telling of it and that kind of stuff. So I, I've kind of pursued those and that would led me to Melton and trying to figure out all these other things. Anyway, I digress way too much. There's my big squirrel tangent for the, for the show. <laughs> We didn't need to hear all that. But so, Frank, thank you so much again um, for, for joining me. Uh, this this honestly has been kind of a conversation of a lifetime for me, <laughs> believe it or not. So, well, thank you. yeah, it's, it's you know, the, the kind of things that I keep having in my head and the conversations that I want to get out in our interviews. We've had a lot of great interviews, and this is just, again, one of the really good ones I think we've had because it, it takes a deeper look at not just the, the show, but also um, what makes the show be what it is and have this sort mm-hmm. of universal appeal. And mm-hmm. I think you've really helped speak to a big part of that. And so, well, thank yeah, th- thank you again for doing this. I, I really look forward to uh, talking to you again uh, once you get back and, and you don't have to do it the day of that you get back. We'll have a <laughs> little be, bit of time in be between. happy to. <laughs> It'll take me a while to get my notes uh, transcribed. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> take, take as much time as you need. But this, this has been really fun. Um, I will work to get this out and maybe even get it out before the end of the, the conference is sort of my goal. So at least people at Kolshak's Loop will know this, know you're there. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll make some announcements on Facebook about, um, you know, that this conference is going on. And, and I know that James yeah. Aquilon has already um, said, yeah, said a couple it, it things. It goes from the 12th through the 15th. Right. Early morning of the 15th, right. Sunday is done. Yeah, so if but, you're, it's in Denver, right? Denver, Colorado. Yeah, so if you're in Denver, if you're lucky enough to be one of those people, I mean, come on. You, you should go, you know, just this is my own, you know, just... Uh, I want to say schadenfreude. No, that's not the right word. <laughs> but anyway, this this is my own, uh, you know, uh, way of saying that I wish I was in Denver. And not just mm-hmm. to, not just to see this conference, but I'd love to live there. Anyway, oh, more, yeah. m- more squirrel tangents. Let's just move on and say goodbye to Frank. Thank you so much again for doing this. Thank um, you. My pleasure. And so uh, if you are listening again to us for Colshack's Loop, we appreciate you doing that. Um, I don't even remember all the way, different ways you can contact us. I think everything says Colshack Loop you know, on Twitter, on Facebook, on uh, Instagram. Bradley even says we've got it on that. And so everything Colshack related, come see us in the loop. No problem. So, so Frank, I had one other question. I just thought of it as we were talking here. And as I'm saying it, just like I usually do, I'm forgetting it once again. <laughs> um, gosh darn. We were talking about detectives and... The, the uh, oh. investigative reporting. Yes, it was. I, and it's gone. <laughs> it's okay. completely gone. I'm so, uh, darn it. I was so excited to say it. Well, I, well the, the one thing I will say, you know, this doesn't have to be for recording, but... Yeah, James James has said that he saw for his dad 
writing this story that Kolshak was the the hero that his dad always wanted to be, and 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 out of um, his own um, experience as being actually an award-winning journalist in Vegas, um, he you know came up against uh, you know what Vegas could have you come up against when it came time for you to be you know have a true story. Ah, and there's my question. Do you, when you are a good reporter and, and you are an investigator, um, is, is the process that you go through to gather your information, uh, you know, and, and then eventually do your report seems to me that it's very similar to the scientific method. Um, you, yeah. you essentially have your hypothesis, you know, and then you go on and on and on through the steps of what okay. you do to, you know, yeah. come up with what you think is a reliable version of what you've been studying. Um, Does that ever come up in teaching journalism or you ever thought of it that way? Or they seem so Uh, similar to me. Sure. The idea of, uh, well, the the, the tenets of good journalism, of course, in America anyway, and and around the world, there's a lot of subjective and in America too, a lot of very subjective press, right? Especially on broadcast these days, but uh, in the print world where I, where I come from and was teaching, uh, I advised the college newspaper for 20 or so years uh, at the, where I was teaching. Uh, so I've done all that uh, coursework. I've never myself been an investigative reporter mm-hmm. in the true sense. Right. I've done the, the standard routines. But, but yeah, there's a lot of research. Uh, the one place Carl wouldn't be doing much of that, he, he depends on uh, folks like uh, uh, Titus... Uh, Titus Perry is that his name? The, the the librarian guy and the, you know, if he ever has to do deep research, it's usually going to some source that is the authority. Correct. Which is what a good reporter does. Correct. Correct. Uh, in the modern real world, investigative reporter requires that you know statistics, can analyze right. numbers, can right. you know, right. so uh, that you are digging into the books of this, that, or the other. It depends on where you're going and what. But the you know, there's an immediate crossing of the line in the Kolchak stories into this is unusual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not a normal murder. This is not, you know, this lady has her head chopped off or this right. guy's riding a motorcycle without one. Right. <laughs> there, that, that's, that is it's the episode bad. that we're well, covering how, next. Go ahead. I'm sorry. How sleepy hollow is that? I mean, it's, yeah, it's obviously, completely. it's obviously a ripoff from, completely. from sleepy hollow, except there's no horse. Yeah, yeah. But it, well, it goes beyond that. It's separate cast and characters and different. Right. You know, there's no uh, Bo Brummel and the love interest, and there's. Yeah, yeah. Ichabod yeah. uh, ends up getting pumpkin at the end of the story. I right, think. right. But it was, it was. Um, I, I rewatched Chopper, and I actually liked it quite a bit. Um, yeah. I, I, that has always been the one that I've disliked so much, but I gave it more of a chance this time. And, and I really enjoyed it. But thanks again, Frank. And uh, we'll talk My again. Pleasure. Okay, thanks. Take care, buddy. Thank you. Uh-huh.